0: We've been waiting for this for so. We are not in the last one, but we're going to do it. We're going to go all the way. I know we can do it.
1: We're feeling confident, excited. We like our chances. But I think that we have it. The Dutch aren't the Dutch of old, and I think we got it. 1-0. 2-0 USA. We're going to win 3-0. 2-1 USA. 2-1. 2-1 USA. 2-1 Yanks. I'm feeling it. Yep. 1-0 USA.
0: 100%. We believe that we can win. 100% go USA! 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 USA!
2: Look at that! to get your, body, get your What's The, What's the, the I
3: will I'll tell you,
0: in What? How's that going
2: All Americas live and underway here on ESPN Plus as we bring you more beautiful images of the Qatari capital Doha in the immediate aftermath of a round 16 showdown between the United States and Netherlands at Khalifa International Stadium. The Dutch in the end her. Winners by a final score of three to one. Been a while since we got to see the US in knockout round action at the World Cup. I thought you were tense during the group phase. You were even more fired up to watch this one.
4: No, no, not fired up. A little disappointed. Really? Yeah.
2: But even during the game, I, I, I could sense like you really, really wanted this team to win. All that talk of like free hit, free roll. Once a game starts, no, and I think probably it, the fans felt that not, too. It's
4: not that I wanted them to win. Um, you believe they could. Well, I, I realistically did believe they had a fighting chance, mm-hmm. and that's what made it even more disappointing It's the way they go out. Um, I knew it was over once everybody started agreeing with me. <laughs> right, <laughs> Once right. the FC panel, once the Picante panel yep. started going, you know what, you convinced me. I started thinking to myself, this is way too easy. It's yeah. not going to go down this way. And I got that feeling uh, the first 15 minutes of watching the game, the posture from both teams, right. it left me a little unsettled.
2: Yeah, it was very interesting, kind of in the 24 hours leading into this match, How many people that we talk to around – and you heard it from – our colleague over at ESPN Netherlands, Pascal Kamperman, he called it 50-50. Our colleagues at ESPN Argentina, ESPN Mexico, everybody said, hey, the U.S. FC guy, really shot Craig. Sh- really yeah. has a shot here. Uh, Frank LeBouff
4: Oh, a- that was over once Frank picked yeah, the U.S. Yeah, right. He had
2: the U.S. <laughs> to, uh, to win in penalties. Unfortunately, it does not go down that way. So we're going to cover this from every angle. We got uh, Casey Keller, who's going to be joining us in just a little bit. We got Alexis Nunes, who's live outside the stadium. She, of course, will bring us uh, the fan perspective. We're also going to break it down from a tactical perspective with El Profe. Juan Carlos Osorio. But Herc, let's just get your first raw reaction since the U.S. are out in the round of 16.
4: My first raw reaction is yes, this Netherlands team is better man for man. Mm-hmm. There is no argument about that. Where they play, their curriculums, ceiling, whatever you want, they're just better man for man. I think it's evident. But even more so when we talk about the coaching. Louis Van Gaal. Ate Greg Berhalter's lunch. Why? What specifically? Louis Van Gaal and this Netherlands team never wanted to run with the United States men's national team. Frankie de Jong, De Roon, they're not going to run with Weston McKinney, with Tyler Adams, Eunice Musa. They know that's the strength of this core of this team. They never wanted that. Mm-hmm. But they knew that they weren't good enough to beat them on the ball with their quality. So why Greg Berhalter planted this team with their two outside backs to come in as interiors, mm-hmm. okay, and playmate, if you will. And at times, Sergio Des got into the final third and he looked dangerous. Anthony Robinson, not so much. But when they lose the ball, it's Weston McKinney and it's Eunice Musa out of position and that ball is immediately coming. It's DeRune, it's Frankie the Young immediately coming down the heart, down the spine of your defense. And it's an immediate opportunity for the Netherlands team. It's immediate opportunity for Mentes of It's It's immediate opportunity at the goal of uh, Matt Turner. It was just very naive. Mm. Very naive that you could think that going into a game with a team like the Netherlands, you were gonna have more quality on the ball. They let you have it. Yeah. They disguised that possession for you. And yes, you had an early opportunity with Christian Pulisic, but this pretty much went down the way that Louis van Gaal had envisioned it. So it
2: feels like three hours ago now, but the first 10 minutes of the game, from a U.S. perspective, I'm thinking, this is great. Pulisic has the, the obvious chance and misses,
4: but it is one-way traffic. 70 exactly. 30% possession. You're thinking... I mean, it wasn't even close. This is
2: exactly... What the U.S. wants, you're telling me that's not what the U.S. wants because on the counter, I mean that goal. You got to admit that goal from Memphis to Pi, and We'll break it down a little bit later. But that came totally against the run of play. Like, wasn't the strategy effective in those first 10 minutes? At or is that actually? Or is and, that? And actually,
4: if you look at the opportunity that Christian Pulisic has, it's it's almost a 50-50 ball that gets kind of whipped right back right, in, and he finds right. himself in an onside position to his own surprise, yeah. and he's too quick instead of composing himself, and well. Uh, Nuber has that save and it stays zero zero. But this is exactly what this Dutch team wanted, what Louis Van Gaal wanted. They wanted you to have possession and they will pick you apart in transition. Now they didn't we want spoke the US to, the to be that call.
2: dangerous. We, they didn't want the Us they to had be one, that dangerous. They had one.
4: That, besides that, what do they have in the first half?
2: Uh, Robinson got in behind in the seventh well, minute. McKinney that, had a quick throw in the Pully behind. Those are in the first ten minutes. That's all I'm talking a, about. A,
4: cl- a, clean, a clean look besides Pulisic. What do they have in the first half? So not it, a lot. it, it, it went a lot. exactly how the Dutch wanted this to go. And they basically said, have the ball. You're not good enough to beat us. Yeah. We are when we can counter at pace with you. They didn't want to run with you. These guys, the Netherlands look fantastic tired, fatigued in those final 10 minutes. And that's why I think once the kitchen sink was thrown, once you had guys coming on like Giovanni Reyna, you had Haji Ra, you had Brendan Aronson, Yedlin now, you're getting all stretched, they're getting stretched. Yes, you had more chances at goal, okay? Because they are tired now, but they're also picking you apart in those transition moments when you are stretched, and you can see that. The, The third, the fourth, always look closer than the first for the U.S. That's a reality. The third, the fourth of the Netherlands always look closer than the first. If it wasn't for Matt Turner, this game would have been over a long time ago.
2: You know, we're going to talk a lot about the manager, and I'm sure that he deserves a, a certain amount of the criticism, but we've got to focus on the, on the players here as well, because to your point, I think we saw the gap in quality. As, as golden of, of a generation as this is for the United States, and as n- not golden as a generation as we've been told it was for the Dutch, you still see the gap. And I think you can fairly even say we see it in those first ten minutes. Um, the clinical nature of Memphis Depay and it's not just Depay it's everybody involved in that build up Denzel Dumfries when he gets into the final play third, of the game it's not a, it's not a, if he's going to put in a dangerous ball it's where is he going to put the dangerous and ball to yeah. and then and then beyond that when we talk about the midfield where we we felt there was a clear physical advantage for the United States you know what still matters at the end of the day? What you do on the ball. Your technique, your ability. And I think generally I've always felt this about the American game, the American development system. We we put a premium, we put a premium on big kids, right? And on athletic kids. And what you saw from this Dutch team, especially in the build-up to their two goals in the first half is tiki-taka, ping 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 and almost her, I felt like using the athleticism that we talked about with this U.S. midfield against them. You bring them in in a rush, and then you're
4: out the other side, and it's easy. It's very easy. It's very easy for Frankie de Jong. And when you see a player of that quality, that caliber, Uh, it looks like he didn't do a lot, but he was so influential when he did have the ball and the way he orchestrated and the way he got players going. You spoke about Denzel Dumfries. Hmm. Serginho Dest had an opportunity to play with the Netherlands. Okay? Yeah. Um, Serginho Des is one of the better players of the U.S. Men's National Team. He had, he had one of the better tournaments yep. in this World Cup. Serginho Des is not playing over Dumfries. Yeah,
2: I mean, Pascal told us he probably doesn't even get in their 26-man no. squad. And,
4: and, and Dumfries was probably the best player on the field today. Yeah. And you can see when you talk about the talent level, and look, we're very proud of these players, you know, from a CONCACAF level, a CONCACAF perspective of how they did this tournament. Um, they the the way they reacted from that second half against Wales, the total performance versus a very good English team, a, a, a very emotional game in Iran and how they handled that. It's a very young team, and you should be very proud of how they handled those moments. But you can see the evident gap in talent when it comes to the players. Serginho Des, one of the better players, isn't on a Denzel Dumfries level. Not right now. But it's even more evident when you look at Louis van Gaal and that resume, that CV. And his actual tactical game plan today and how he just swallowed whole Greg Berhalter. So
2: we criticized Tata Martino with Mexico against Argentina for not being aggressive enough. I actually thought the U.S. setup in the first half was very aggressive. There were times at the back where they left it two on two and there was just tons of space. But isn't that kind of dying as you lived? Is there not some praise there? No, it's different.
4: It's being naive. Listen, is that only
2: hindsight? It should, maybe, but... Like, had, had the players... Look, I just want to throw a stat what, at you. Where do you something work? Something you point what out. What
4: do we do? We break it down. All right. Okay. All right. Well, I'm, what I'm trying to tell you is...
2: I don't believe Greg Burhalter put his attacking players in a bad spot in the first half. I think he put them in good spots oh, and they didn't Oh, I think he put them in a
4: terrible position. The attacking players. Yes, because you have you have Serginho Dest and Anthony Robinson, who did not have a good game. He had a very heavy foot. He's okay. had a heavy foot on him all tournament, even more so this this tournament. And I, I give him a ton of credit for playing on one ankle. Mm-hmm. Basically, that's what he's been doing, playing on, on, on one leg. Uh, but when you ask those two players to come in as interiors, and what I mean by interiors, and people should realize is, mm-hmm. you're asking them to carry the ball from a wide position inside and playmaker as eights, okay? And what happens there is Eunice Musa and Weston McKinney will have to evacuate that space and they will go wide and sometimes it looks like they're the right back or the left back or they're a winger so to speak and it's, it's Timothy Weah coming inside uh, and it's a lot of fluid movement that is all good, that is great when you have the ball and it looks very good, it looks very nice but you know what happens if you lose the ball? Mm. The harder that central midfield you know where they are? Exposed. Next to the touchline. yeah, And wide. you know what Tyler Adams is? On an island. 1v2. Yep. And all of a sudden, Tyler Adams has to worry about 1v2, Frankie DeYoung Young and Duran, the And then he's got to go try to track back Memphis to pie. Yeah. And when he can't get there, guess what Memphis has? A free chance on goal. Hmm. So what I'm trying to tell you, it was very naive. It was always going to be a game of pick your chances. You have to be very proud of how they played in certain matches in this tournament. But definitely, listen, goals change games. Yeah. Christian Pulisic scores that goal. It's a different game. Motion is different, not only for the U.S. Men's National Team, but for the Netherlands, and it can be a different game. But you have to be smarter than that. I, I think that's where I'm disappointed with Greg Berhalter in this U.S. Men's National Team. The
2: stat I was going to throw out at you at the first half before we move on to the, kind of the game-changing moment, 93 touches for the United States in the Dutch final third just 29 for netherlands in the american final third but to the point about quality it's what you do with those touches the dutch were clinical throughout uh the americans obviously were not let's get to the game changing moment because it is the goal that in the end puts netherlands on top in the first half 10 minutes in it's a beautiful finish from the pie but for me really it was a, a beautiful build-up from deep in midfield
4: deep in midfield denzel dumfries again you know very instrumental in the attack, and it's so difficult when you're trying to chase a player of Memphis Depay's quality, mm-hmm. his pace. Uh, and he was brilliant throughout the game, not only just how direct he can be, but how smooth he is on the ball. And his well, he ability was wide to open. Who's got to be there? Uh, he was wide open because uh, you're telling me there's no problem with the way the U.S. Men's National Team played, and you're okay with Sergio Dest and Anthony Robinson committing numbers forward, but you're also... Asking me why is he so wide open, yeah. right? Because other players have to commit. Other players have to do things Where's when Moussa? that happens. Where's
2: Where's Adams? Where's McKinney? Where's the runners? Exactly. That's a run.
4: Exactly. Musa and Adams are out wide, like I just told mm-hmm. you. They're lost in that play. They're eliminated. And then you're putting center backs man per man. Uh, and Memphis Depay means uh, so. Clinical as he is, he it's was, not a hard run. It's a brilliant run. It's a brilliant yeah. run because most forwards will look for that near post run. It's a brilliant run in the sense that he holds that run. He knows exactly where this ball is coming. It's clipped back and he's there.
2: Yeah, you know, it's obviously the game changing moment, but you could point out a million different moments. The goal that falls. Just before the half. Give, give me the player psychology there. Because if you're the U.S. at that point, you're saying, okay, one nothing, we got a shot. But I I'm imagine that, that changes not just the player psychology, but then Greg Berhalter's halftime speech, halftime approach, everything the is kind of, everything's blown hand, up. His hand is forced right, right. once that second goal Such comes in. Such a dagger. Such a dagger.
4: <clears throat> there are moments that change games. One of those moments is the first goal. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. But you can maintain that. You can work with that. You can get players to rally and know that you're still only a goal in this. It's just, hey, one goal. You're back in it. It's tied game. Nothing happens. But when you're so close to halftime, all you want to do is see it out. Regroup at half. Okay. We'll talk about it in the dressing room. Mm -hmm. We'll gather our thoughts. We'll collect ourselves. We'll go back out there and start anew. But when that second goal comes in right before half, it's just deflating. It it, it feels like your soul is leaving your body. You can literally literally see it on the field, these players, that's a sinking feeling. And you go into halftime, and who knows what's being said, what's going on, how the coaching crew is responding, who's talking to who, who's seeing who warm up, what's going through those players' minds, what's going through Greg Berhalter's head. It, It all gets thrown for a loop in a matter of seconds.
2: So you talked about the Christian Pulisic miss. What'd you make of his performance overall? <clears throat> and we got I think we got to put it in context, you know, coming off the pelvic contusion, not at 100% pretty clearly. Uh, but what would you think of his work on the field today?
4: He was he showed a lot of heart, a lot of battle. Wasn't as clean. Yeah. Wasn't as efficient. He wasn't um, what he is. He wasn't what he is, and you have to acknowledge that. And what he needs that. to be. What he needed
2: to be today for this team, clearly. And,
4: and we spoke about that. We spoke about that. If anybody needed to be that man today, it was Christian Pulisic. He had that chance. Um, he wasn't as composed yeah. as he normally is. I think he may have rushed himself. I don't know if he thought he was in an offside position, so it instinct, just instinct and you shoot, but he had more time on the ball yeah. than he actually realized. It's a great save in the end by Norbert, Norbert um, but it's something that he needs he needed to, to make. He needed to score that goal. And listen, goals change the game. We said this. Maybe it's a different game. If he puts that ball in the back of the net.
2: Yeah, and I think beyond that, there was a few chances where he gets into dangerous spot and the final pass just didn't come off. Either it was our target or the Dutch broke it up. And uh, again, not to pick on Christian Pulisic, but he's been the guy. Yeah through the first three games for this team and clearly maybe just didn't have that that 100% that that he needed in a a knockout round game here at the World Cup. All right, let's call on our first guest on today's edition of Football Americas, Casey Keller, who's been a part of not one, not two, not three, but four World (laughs) Cup teams for the U.S. men's national team. Casey, the U.S. out in the round of 16, your first reaction to the game that we just witnessed?
1: Well, I mean, I've been listening to you guys, and and, and I think... I agree with a lot of what you're saying. Uh, uh, the idea that you were going to step into this game, uh, press Holland from you know the first minute, um, and it all and it was working. Look, there was points, but then there was a point where I was thinking, okay, now press five minutes, drop back, be a little bit uh, more professional here. Don't give those opportunities for guys to come sneaking in behind you. And, and But no, they just kept pressing and pressing and pressing. And then, you know, look, it was a fantastic play that, uh, that the Dutch put together to open up that first goal. But when you have players pressing and then once that quick one-two touch passing puts those players behind you, there's a lot of space to be exposed behind. And, and you, you saw the difference in the match of how clinical – the Dutch were in the final third and and I mean that was really the difference look you can talk all you want about the uh, the 80 yards in midfield the you know from five yards outside the 18 on both ends but that's not where games are won where games are won is how you defend in one box and how you score goals in the other and and the Dutch showed you that that's exactly how you get yourself into the next round is how clinical you are, both defensively and on the offensive side of things. And, and look, I, I love the way the team played, but there's a point where you just, and, and I heard you said it multiple times, just being a bit naive. And, and, and it did, it seemed a bit naive at times, and, and, and they got punished for it.
2: Casey, you use the word professional. Dive in there. What, what do you mean by
1: that? Well, to think that you're going to press this Dutch side for 90 minutes. What I love seeing is, is a team that's super well-organized where, okay, here's my opportunity to win the ball in the, in the defensive third. Okay, it's not on, okay, back up. Get good defensive shape. Now we'll keep good shape, wait for the opportunity, win the ball back, work something okay, put a good ball in the box, win the second ball, see if you can score a goal. Pick and choose your times. Uh, It it just seemed like it was, okay, we're gonna have our way with you, we're gonna press you, we're gonna press you, and I don't think they quite gave this Dutch side as much respect as they deserved. Uh, I, like everyone else, don't think this is a world-class Dutch side by any means, and I think the US exposed uh, a lot of their weaknesses particularly their athleticism um there was times when the u.s was was definitely the stronger side athletically in midfield but then there was also those times when 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 the dutch were able to show uh, their technical ability and because of that it exposed players in poor positions because they were advanced when they probably shouldn't have been and and it's it's, 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 it's a learning lesson. It, it, it happens. You get exposed by good teams. And, and what the U, where the U.S. was successful in this tournament was not conceding chances. That's why they got themselves to this point. Uh, they elected to be more aggressive, opened themselves up defensively, and they paid the price for it.
2: Yeah, to Casey's point, by far, Matt Turner's busiest day, right? Without not just a doubt. The saves. He had four saves, but he was busy throughout.
4: W- without a doubt. I love that Casey used the term professional um, because to me, and he mentioned that, that there's a discipline to being professional. But don't confuse being disciplined as being defensive. Mm. You have to be di- disciplined in the way you attack so you don't leave yourself vulnerable for chances that the opposition could take advantage of. They were not. They were very naive, and yes, to an extent, as Casey said, They didn't respect this Dutch team maybe as much as they should have. They were very content with sitting back and saying, okay, let's see how good you are if you can break us down. Okay, but we don't think you can break us down. And guess what? We think you're actually going to be naive enough to think so and are going to leave those spaces for us to attack. And they did. I love the term professional because there's so much to it than just a defensive effort.
2: Right, and the stats there tell us it, right? More touches in the attacking third, more touches in the opponent's box for the United States. But again, what do you do with those touches and then how does it leave you exposed on the other end? Casey, I want to talk about some of the big decisions that Greg Berhalter made today. Probably no decision bigger than what he did with the number nine position. What did you think of the call to go with Jesus Ferreira, who had not played yet in this tournament?
1: Well, it obviously didn't work. I mean, he got subbed at halftime. So, I think he was cornered a little bit because of the injury to Josh Sargent. I don't think he felt that Haji Wright was uh, in a position to necessarily start. Um, But... We talked about this position from years and then obviously in the build up to the tournament and how you know this could be a problem going forward and and obviously it was and and in the end he, he, he made a decision he realized it was a wrong decision at halftime and and made the change uh, it, It's hard to be critical when you really don't have the option you, you're then saying, do you go with a midfield false nine? All that you know now. Now you're just you, you're throwing stuff against the wall and seeing what sticks. So, look, I understand why he went with Jesus Ferreira, um, but I think there was also a reason that was telling him why Jesus didn't play in those first uh, three uh, in those in those group stage matches, and and we saw that today that maybe Jesus good good season in MLS, but. You know, up against uh, the likes of Virgil van Dyke, And then, okay, it just was too much for him. Yeah. It ain't Granada. It ain't Granada, Herc. Well, not
4: only that, uh, we're in a Winter World Cup. So you get one week from the tournament starting, mm-hmm. and then you're here. So those players who are in form in the regular season will probably be the most effective players yeah, in this World it. Cup. Yeah. Uh, his last game was October 23rd versus Austin. Playoffs, MLS. Playoffs, yep. MLS playoffs. October 23rd. And Casey mentioned it. There's a reason he probably didn't play those three group stage games. I probably would have gone back to the well if you had to use a nine, if there's no Josh Sargent, if you're forced to use an actual nine. How'd you write? Uh, he, he's there. And he's playing regularly in Turkey. He's got goals under his belt. Um, At halftime, he did what finally everybody wanted to do. That false nine. He went there. There was more chances. I get it. You're throwing everything. Uh, Caution to the wind. You're being more proactive going forward. But there's a reason why Jesus Ferreira didn't play in the first three games and he was put in a very difficult position
2: yeah so he's replaced at the half by Gio Reyna the the other subs in the second half Aronson uh, Haji Wright Yedlin they seem to have a big impact for the United States Uh, Casey what did you make of us finally seeing Gio Reyna in a significant role here Uh, he got the 45 minutes there in the second half and really the other changes that Greg Berhalter made and how they may have impacted this match
1: yeah, it's kind of hard. I mean, look, Gio. We know we know the qualities that Gio has, and and it was the big question mark is is knowing the depth, kind of on that uh, wide attacking roles. Is how does Greg find uh, either the time or the place on the field to get these guys on the pitch as much as we all would like to see them on the pitch with Arundson as well in that conversation. And you know, it was it was a surprise that that he had played seven minutes only in in the in the opening three matches. So. He had the opportunity, I, I thought we saw what we saw from Gio, the quality to be able to link players, to uh, get past a player at times, put a dangerous ball in the box. But it also was a little bit false because it, a 2-0 lead on a Dutch side that was already conceding possession to the U.S., uh, it, was, it was clear that the U.S. was going to have a lot of ball, particularly in midfield. And, and, uh, and obviously the movement was there. You talked about then that we did see more of that false nine. And there was a lot of movement across the whole front. But when you have the quality of, of, of center backs that, that the Dutch have, you need that extra man to actually get in front of one of those center backs to see if you could actually challenge him i'm going to go back to a, one of the big question marks before the tournament even started should they have brought p should they have brought Sibachu? was he a guy that that mm. in a game like this where you needed another big body to be able to run in front of a, a bigger defender A guy that was scoring goals to start the season in the Bundesliga, is he a guy that that really should have been able to come off the bench?
2: Hmm. Yeah, and you know what's interesting about that? The 26-man roster feels like you could have brought whether it was Pifog, whether it was Pepe, you could have brought. A, a big name, right? You could have brought another forward. And to Casey's point, you know, it's almost like Jesus Ferreira gets a start today by default, right? right. Sargent isn't available, and Haji Wright has literally just been introduced into this team.
4: Especially when you look at the players who weren't used, maybe you thought that you would have more of a chance of using a certain player in an offensive position, a profile player. And I'm talking about a nine. I will go back to the, to Gio Reyna actually coming into the game. I love that Gio Reyna finally came into the game. What I do not like is where Gio Reyna was occupying spaces. He was inserted into this game as the false nine. Mm-hmm. That wouldn't have been my first choice if I went false nine. It would have been Timothy Weah. And you could see it by... Gio's movements and maybe unfamiliarity with the situation. He didn't exactly know how to occupy these center backs and I get it in case touched upon it, Ake, Timber, uh, you know Van Dyke, they're very good center backs very high level center backs but Timothy Weah was busy in the first half. Timothy Weah was busy throughout the game. You put a player like that that can stretch, that can come in that could get on the ball, turn face and maybe it frees up Gio Reyna elsewhere whether it's on the wing or coming in centrally.
2: I think if we go big picture here, fans probably feel pretty good about this tournament overall. But we've had Casey on this show a few times. You talk about exigencia, right? Standards. I think Casey has very high standards for what he expects from this national team. Casey, right now, do you feel frustrated? Was this a missed opportunity? Are you satisfied with what the U.S. did in this tournament?
1: I'm actually both. Um, I'm I'm definitely satisfied with what I've seen. I (laughs) loved... Uh, the the team togetherness the way they defended through midfield from the front uh, you know we were talking about it on FC and and, and really that you know when you, when you look at the games yeah there was a couple mistakes that weren't punished and I'll go back to that free header from Harry Kane in stoppage time but for the most part Matt Turner had a pretty quiet three games now yeah he made some great saves today which was which was nice to see but but it was a really good team effort to, to make sure that, that they kept their opponents you know, away from their goal. Now, finding that balance then between being more offensive-minded, Herc, I know you've been talking about it, is in how can you then attack, keep yourself uh, with good cover defensively, but then be dangerous in the attacking third. We missed a little bit of that. I think maybe we needed a little bit more from... From let's say a Christian or maybe a, a, a Tim Weah to be able to to beat guys, keep possession deeper in, but then the, but then get runs. I think it's 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 hard that I did. I would have loved to have seen you know a couple more runs from Weston McKinney. Yes, he had the great run against England and and, and probably should have scored where he got in the box and 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 blazed over the top. We saw I think a, another shot today from from McKinney where he put the ball over the bar. So. I think that was a little bit of a disappointment, but and then you're coming up against a, a Dutch side that was beatable. I mean, there's not many times you're con- going to come up against, you know, the Netherlands and and know that it's a team that that you can beat, and I, that's where I was disappointed with the way this game transpired. The way the U.S. started the game bright, but maybe a little too aggressive. Got hit on the counter. Uh, but that, I, I, you know, you guys were talking about before I came on, the, the, the daily blend goal before the half changed everything. It, it changed everything that Greg was probably going to do at halftime, made him have to, to, to change formations, change player personnel, and, and, and that, was, that was the killer. That was the naive moment that really uh, is the disappointment. But big picture very very happy happy for guys like tim rehm who had a fantastic tournament uh happy for for that that midfield crew tyler adams had a a really good tournament what did we talk about before the game you needed the core of your star players to show up they did that and then you needed some surprises from some other guys tim rehm being a great surprise played so well cameron carter vickers coming in and having a really really good game against iran uh and then uh, you, you you've talked about Weya, You've talked about Pulisic had a had a good tournament, I think. Without really, you know, no. But we know he can he can give this side more. But overall, super happy. You could be
4: satisfied with what you saw in the group phase and still disappointed because of what Case just mentioned. It is an opportunity missed, an opportunity lost that you probably will never have back. You probably will never have this type of opportunity versus this type of Netherlands. a Netherlands that looked very beatable in the group phase. Just
2: generally in the round of 16, you don't get very many games that you feel are accessible. And I feel like a lot of people thought this was accessible, but Maybe we were overstating that. I mean, we saw a clear gap between the two sides, didn't well, we
4: today? Well, it's not that we were overstating it because it'd be one thing if it was just Casey saying it, if it was just you saying it, or if I felt that way. But the overwhelming yeah. response from everybody, all our colleagues here, all our, all the pundits around us, were was and even Pascal, who's who's from the Netherlands, was this is a very tight game, and Netherlands is very beatable. The U.S. can beat them. The U.S. has quality enough to beat them. But I think that quality was based on the fact that they were so good defensively, and they were so lethal in transition. They picked their moments, and that was not the U.S. men's national team we saw today. They got stretched, their shape was out of whack, and they got hurt by some very good players. Um, and you got to put some respect on that orange machine.
2: Let's talk about the coach. Casey, you obviously have a long-standing relationship with Greg Burhalter and you said something very interesting the other day on this show. You mentioned that he may want to pursue something different than the national team for another four years through 2026. He, he loves working with players every day. Uh, maybe, maybe there's a return to the club game, maybe in Major League Soccer. Maybe this could boost his profile internationally. Maybe he could get you know, another opportunity uh, in Europe. But, Casey, I'm going to give you the job of U.S. Soccer Federation president. I know it's not one you want, but I'm going <laughs> to give it to you for this, for this hypothetical. Uh, would you offer, Greg, another four years through 2026 based on this World Cup? Because I feel like for all that happened in qualifying, at the end of the day, when we judge international managers, we got to judge them off the World Cup. Has he done enough for you to say, you know what, this is a guy to best prepare us for 2026 when the World Cup is going to be in the U.S. and, of course, Canada and Mexico as well?
1: U.S. soccer had set two goals uh, for Greg Berhalter. First to qualify, second to get out of the group stage. When you achieve both goals, it's kind of really difficult to then not think that... Uh, That they deserve another opportunity if they want it and and that's obviously there's always going to be criticism and what's nice is the reason why there's criticism is because our squad depth is strong enough now that you actually can say are you sure this guy shouldn't have been called into the squad this guy should have been played should we play this formation Mm -hmm. if you don't have the squad depth that's not even a question but in the end what you do with the squad to be able to achieve your goals. That's all you can ask, and, and and Greg achieved those. Now, you also have to look into some of the questions that we talked about uh, the last time, <laughs> is there hasn't been a lot of success lately on the second go around. Do you wanna, as a young manager, <clears throat> excuse me, do you wanna tarnish the good work you did here with possibly issues in the future? Um, I know that's always uh, hypotheticals or hypotheticals, right? But but that's what we're kind of paid to talk about at times and and so yeah, I mean the only person you can really ask is Greg and I, and, I, and I'm sure he's going to have a long debrief after this. He's going to, you know, do some soul searching within himself, within the family, uh see what obviously if there are options, right? I mean, we don't know. I mean, Obviously, unable to leave U.S. soccer, you're not going to just resign, probably, and uh, hope somebody comes knocking. There's got to be offers and able to see if uh, if they make sense and, and weigh things up after that. But uh, I think Greg has done the job that he was asked to do, and with a really young group of players, uh, we saw... Some very good things in this World Cup, and, and what's what's great, and I'm, I'm going to say this: this is a good thing. Is the disappointment knowing that maybe there could have been more? Not look. Let's go back. Let's go back to the Belgian game where Tim had the great game and they hung on for dear life. That was a hanging on for dear life. The U.S. was in this game all the way, besides a couple mistakes that showed some naive. Uh, defending some naive just approach, but at 2 1, the Dutch did not want to go into the end of this game 2 1, and that's why I think we were all devastated when that hmm. third goal came. But it was not a, a hanging on for dear life as a team just pummels your goal and your goalkeeper just keeps getting hit in the head with the ball. So, I mean, this is. This was a good performance, and, and, and it's nice that it, it leaves you disappointed, and that shows you where the program's going that you can play against uh, a Netherlands in the second round of the World Cup and be disappointed.
2: Berhalter 2026, Herc, does he get your vote?
4: He achieved both goals. He qualified, and he got them out of the group. Does he get my vote for 2026? Because it's a different question, right? We can say he was successful
2: this time around without giving him the job for the next four years.
4: No, he doesn't get my vote of confidence. Really? 2026, all these players will be 25, 26 years In old. In their prime, beginning In of their, their prime. In their prime, playing a World Cup at home. I can't, he- I can't sit here. With a straight face and tell you that I think Greg Berhalter is capable of taking this team on a deep run, then. If I can't answer that question, he shouldn't be the coach.
2: Hmm. Casey, uh, real quick to you, because we've mentioned some of the US failures right, with hiring a coach for a second cycle. We can look at Jurgen Klinsmann, didn't survive his second cycle. We can look at Bob Bradley, didn't survive his second cycle. We can look at Bruce Serena, whose second World Cup is much worse than his first World Cup. But I can also, as we have on this show before, point out that there are examples of countries that have stuck with international managers for a long time and had great success because of it. Specifically, I'm thinking Spain. Specifically, I'm thinking Uruguay. Generally, Casey, when we talk about a potential eight-year tenure at the international stage, do you think that's a, a good idea? Is that the correct way to go? Um, or do you think the lifespan of an international manager should be just the four years and hit the reset button?
1: Yeah, I personally think that it's, it's, it's more of the latter, that you have a, a time with a group of guys and then it it becomes repetitive you know the difference with a club situation is there's always new faces coming in because you're always buying new new players and players are leaving and 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 you're and it's kind of a different locker room all the time the national team you're pretty much stuck with the group of players you have and so it becomes the same thing over and over and over again and i think that's why sometimes it's nice to have uh, a different voice now you talked about how young this, this group is. And, and what you also can't have is that complacency with a young group that's four years older now thinking, okay, I was this coach's favorite player at this stage. Now I can just cruise into the next one. Mm. So sometimes having to, to prove yourself to a new coach all over again is also a, a new motivational factor. So yeah, I think there's, there's, there's pros and cons for both. But I think uh, let's, let's look at Belgium. Uh, obviously, Roberto Martinez has been there for a while. It yeah. obviously didn't go well for them. Um, and, and there is sometimes that new voice for both things, maybe for an older team that has gotten complacent. and then, you know, a group of players that, that has been successful with one manager. Yeah, know, that's the tough part about this, guys. There is no right answer. There's no wrong answer. It's it's simply trying to figure out uh, what's the best scenario. And, 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 and then the other side of it, too, for U.S. soccer is then what are the options if, if either Greg chooses to leave or mm-hmm. you choose to go in a new direction. So uh, just to change for the sake of changing um, – you know, obviously, they made the decision on Bob Bradley because Jurgen Klinsmann was available. Um, if I don't see after the success, but then again, Bob very successful uh, in South Africa, getting out of the out of the group stage. So, yeah, U.S. Soccer has shown that they're not afraid to make a difficult decision at times. But uh, yeah, I think a lot of it will depend on 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 the options of both Greg. Burhalter and what the Federation thinks. Uh, but let's be honest, when you don't have to qualify, I don't know how many managers want to come in. You talk to a lot of managers. Mm-hmm. Do they want to come in four years for a side that doesn't have to qualify and you're stuck playing a bunch of nothing friendlies until, you know, if, if that move is going to be made, it'll, it would probably be made a year out, a year and a half out.
2: Great point. Casey, uh, thanks so much for your perspective. i got to cut you loose, but I'll see you in about six hours on ESPN FC. And generally, thank you so much. You've been a huge part of our coverage here on Football Américas. I know we dragged you out of bed there on West Coast Time, but you are the man. And we really do appreciate it.
1: Time, come on, guys. I didn't even have a time to shave, you know, so uh, you, you got the worst part of me. But uh, next time, I promise, I'll shave. So thanks, We'll guys. take it. <laughs> All
2: right. At least you didn't oversleep like some people uh, here. That would be you. Yes, uh, I have uh, I have had that happen to me here in Qatar. Just once, just once. Uh, let's go big, big picture here. Because I feel like in this moment, it, it, US fans might be feeling down. But if you look at everybody else in the region, they're feeling worse because they went home in a group phase. I'm talking about Canada, I'm talking about Mexico, I'm talking about Costa Rica. So in this kind of never-ending conversation of who is the giant of CONCACAF. The most important measuring stick is the World Cup. Has the US, after seemingly at least reaching Mexico with the Nations League and the Gold Cup and qualifying success as well, has it overtaken Mexico now as the true giant of CONCACAF? So
4: this is what us Smurfs are doing now. We're, we're arguing over who's taller.
2: <laughs> exactly. This okay. World Cup, it does feel like that, yeah.
4: Well, just in general, because... Concacaf, I think you can see it by the numbers left in in. The but World you got to
2: compare yourself to your neighbors, right?
4: Fair, fair. It, it, in that sense, the U.S. men's national team in this moment are the kings of Concacaf. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't even think it's debatable. Right. It, won the Nations League, Concacaf Nations League, won the Gold Cup, last man standing, only team to make it to the knockout round in a World Cup. Most players in Europe. Highest profile players, Mm
2: -hmm. youngest pool of players, youngest pool of players, highest
4: ceiling. So that's where I want to go next, because I feel like the giant of CONCACAF can change in the 2000s just as much just as much history as any other nation in CONCACAF. I feel like it can change
2: week to week almost sometimes, right? Like when U.S. beat Mexico in the Nations League final and then Gold Cup, we said okay, U.S. is on top, and then Canada finishes first in qualifying, and we, we kind of even threw them into the mix. Do you feel like the U.S. now has established themselves as such a giant of CONCACAF that the gap to everybody else or the gap to specifically Mexico is enough that it'll last the next four years? Or do you think Mexico, with all the problems that you talked Ooh. about last time, because I think that's the, real, that's the real competition we're still talking about here with all due respect to Canada, do you think Mexico is anywhere near being able to, to regain the edge that we would have said they had
4: not all that long ago, probably 2019 pre-pandemic? Absolutely, and I think because of the U.S., and their success, Mexico, would hit that ref- restart button quick, would refresh things. Mm. El Mundial tiene una nueva novia, right? Uh, they see what's going on with the U.S. right now. They don't want to let it happen. They've got just as men- much resource as the U.S. when it comes to football and their culture, mm-hmm. when it comes to the federation. Uh, if there is a change, a shift in mentality, they can do things just as well as the U.S. men's national team. If, and, and do even, you believe there will even the be, the Canadian though. structure, if, even Canada.
2: Right, but specifically Mexico. Do you believe that they will? And do you
4: really believe that not this is recent. that motivation? Not, not, not in, the, not in the recent. Maybe three years from now they're going into the World Cup, and you're thinking, yeah. "Hey, something changed." We did but, see but from now. From now until those, until that, f- yeah, three and a half, almost fourth year, because it's going to be three and a half to the World Cup. They don't have the U20 World Cup, yep. and they don't have the, the U23 tournament, which is the Olympic Games. So that's going to be something that will hamper them because they don't have World Cup qualifying. Yeah. So where do you introduce this new generation? They also don't have players under 23 in this World Cup, which means they won't have a U26 player with World Cup experience in 2026. They are behind the eight ball. But in terms of a footballing country, in terms of technical ability and how they produce players in Liga MX, because mm-hmm. that's what they yeah. have to rely on, they're, they're a factory of production when it comes to players of a certain age. They just don't graduate them.
2: Yeah, and they are not... You know they're a factory, but a factory does not sell any of its product. Is also right. the point, right? And Liga Mequis came out with a statement after Mexico crashes out, saying we are committed to the success. We of will the national analyze team. was a statement. And is is that is that them saying, hey, we're going to start selling players abroad, even when it may not be for the most money, because that's really the. That's the sacrifice that the Mexican clubs need to make. They know they can turn to Rayados, Tigres, Chivas, and sell for big money. Bigger money than they can sell to some team in Holland or some team in Belgium or some team even in the so th- lower tiers teams of Spain, So There are a few
4: organizations with, or groups, I should say, within Mexican football that want to change things. Mm-hmm. But until the majority want to, right. it's going to be the same thing. And, and producer the whispered in my ear right now the amount of foreign players in Liga MX, and, and people often take issue with that. What do you mean foreign players? That should increase the value. Well... If you look at the Premier League, it does increase the value for the domestic player because these foreign players have a certain weight, a certain category. They have to have a certain percentage to get a work permit to play in the Premier League. That's not the case with Ligaimekis. You can play in any national team in the world, regardless of how good or bad that national team is, and have a spot there. That's not the case in the UK. In the UK, you have to have a certain weight, mm-hmm. you have a certain category to increase a certain the benefit. resume, exactly. certain resume, certain CV.
2: Again, try Jet's signature eight-corner pizza and get $5 off with code 8SAVE. That's the number eight, S-A-V-E. Jet's Pizza, better because it has to be. Speaking of resumes, few folks at ESPN have a better CV than Alexis Nunes. And she joins us from live outside Khalifa International Stadium as we take a look uh-oh, at, Uh oh, at Greg Berhalter's knockout stage loss ah, it's not as bad as 1934 when they lost uh, 7-1 to italy speaking of alexis she is with us uh, she's been with us throughout this tournament here on Football Americas. we were on espnfc earlier alexis you were painting the picture pre-game painted for us post-game now i'm sure the mood is very different
0: Yeah, guys, the mood is definitely different. It's just such an unfortunate end to what started out as a very exciting day. And you know me as I am the Football America's Vibes Queen. I want to bring you the vibes, but even I'm feeling the somber mood here (laughs) as the U.S. fans just stroll out in silence from the Khalifa International Stadium. And look, like I said, we got here really early, about 2 p.m., 1.30 p.m., so to speak, in the hot desert sun, and there were already USA fans here getting ready, getting excited, taking their photos just soaking in the moment and like I said I got to speak to them as per usual and it wasn't necessarily just a hopeful vibe because I think we're all always a bit hopeful when it comes to our countries in World Cups no matter the challenge ahead of us but it was actually a very Slightly confident, not a cocky vibe, a very confident and appreciative vibe that what they had seen from the USA up until this point suggested that they had everything it took to get rid of this Netherlands team. And I mean, we saw last night on Football Americas, we had our ESPN Netherlands uh, colleague, Pascal Kamperman, who spoke about how over in the Netherlands, they also had reservations, not just of this tournament, but of this Netherlands team as well. They hadn't really impressed. We heard Craig Bernstein Early on our ESPN FC pre-show before the match today, say how we're used to some big, glitzy names from the Netherlands, and right now we're kind of relying on the likes of a Memphis Depay who has been questionable for club as well as for country. Well, today he showed up and. Pascal even said he was only expecting about 2,000 to maybe 3,000 maximum Netherlands fans here today. And it's true. They were absolutely outnumbered inside that stadium by the U.S. fans. I couldn't even hear them really as much when the goals scored and when Haji Wright's ball went in, um, even though it was a lucky goal, it was absolute scenes and limbs. You definitely heard from the U.S. fans there. Mm -hmm. And that is what the atmosphere was like. And I just keep thinking to myself, what if that early Christian Pulisic chance? went in because as the boys ended up looking a bit shell-shocked once the Netherlands got their first goal the crowd kind of went down as well they weren't singing as much it was nothing like what we experienced in that match against Iran we saw even Christian Pulisic going to take a corner later on in the game and he was kind of riling them up telling them come on guys just still keep the faith keep believing in them and I think I understand them as well because you'd remember from the international break in the USA's match against Saudi Arabia just before this World Cup um, I had the chance to speak to Christian Pulisic following the match and There were so many questions about Greg Berhalter and what he really wanted to do with his team, with so many great players, what their true identity was like. And I asked Christian that and he said, you know what, I just want us to be a really nasty team. I want that when we play other teams, we leave a bit on them. We're really hard to break down. That when they see, oh, you have to play the USA, they're like, oh, geez, let me get ready for a physical battle. And we had seen that, I think, to a good extent up until today. Our good friend Nader Manua, he was sat beside me and when he was talking about the netherlands he said you know what lex uh with all due respect to the us but it looked like men that just dealt with the boys and that's how he kind of puts it down to and the netherlands of course their experience showed up in this one we were questioning if the moment probably got to the us but they seemed a lot easier to break down than what they had pretty much put out so far this tournament. Fans wanted to see more of how they were against England, but of course it comes down to being and having that killer instinct in that final third. Now, Speaking to a lot of the fans outside of the stadium as well, getting some reaction, a lot of them actually seem proud and happy that the USA were able to to compete with the best, but they really are lamenting that this was a Netherlands that was there for the taking, at least on paper, at least with all the rumours, and at least as how they were playing. They were there for the taking, and they're just kind of lamenting that in the final third, they didn't have that extra fierce power to get the job done today.
2: So Alexis
4: mentioned something there we haven't really covered yet, and that's the Haji Wright goal. Did he mean to, Herc? (laughs) He meant to be dangerous. Right. That's all that matters. Uh, As a nine, that's all you can ask for. He got his goal. He put his team somewhat back in this game. It was 2-1 at that point, and you felt like there could be a wave pushing them forward, but too little too late. Yeah,
2: I got... uh Just a a couple detail questions here for you, Alexis. Uh, I want to know specifically what you feel like the percentage split was between US and Dutch fans. And then I'm wondering if you could tell me about the reaction when the fans finally realized that Gio Reyna was coming on, because it's a halftime sub. And I know when you were talking to fans before game, we even saw the video, they were chanting Gio, Gio, Gio. They really wanted to see him before the game. So what did they do when they finally saw him on the field?
0: Oh, finally. I think even I let out a scream when I finally saw him on the field. Nadem went to get me a a (laughs) bottle of water, and when I came down, I was like, who's that tall boy I'm seeing? Is that Gio Reyna? And I was like, oh, my God, it's Gio Reyna. And then the kid behind me, he got up, and he was like, that's Gio Reyna. And I was like, yes, finally, everyone was so excited finally to see Gio Reyna. Look, you know, I got a lot of love for my boy Jesus Ferreira as well. I was excited to see him on the team sheet. What a story for him. And we know he's young, but I don't think anybody, even with his experience, wants to go up against the likes of Virgil van Dijk and his experience. But Gio Reyna just always adds something to it, and we finally got to see it. and we kept talking about what you guys kept saying the fact that he's been kept out for some time now is this anger going to fuel him in this match so everybody actually was really excited to see him there were a ton of Giorena shirts in the crowd and actually like I said the Netherlands fans definitely were outnumbered in this one even though you usually do see them because nobody can miss the bright orange colored shirts but the USA absolutely outnumbered them I would definitely say maybe 70-30 because there were actually a lot more neutral fans today than i even expected and each of them kind of had to pick a side and there were two tents outside of the khalifa stadium that were giving away free flags to to anyone you either had the netherlands tent and you had the usa tent and we went over to the usa side and they said sorry babes but we've been out for like the past hour people all the neutral fans were grabbing the usa flags there were only netherlands fans flags left for this one so a lot of people came in there definitely rooting for the usa and even when the the names were being read out on the monitor for the team sheets and the lineup christian pulisic got a massive cheer from everyone including a lot of netherlands fans who admittedly always will recognize him but they said that they've got to know a lot more of the names today especially tyler adams
2: there it is Alexis Nunes, as always, great to have you with us here on Football Américas. We really appreciate your presence and all that you've brought to the show through this uh, U.S. run, helping us out with our Mexico coverage as well. We, uh, we can't tell you enough how much we've enjoyed it. Thanks again.
0: Cheers, guys. See you soon.
2: Must be 21-plus plus and present in select states. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. See app for details. Alexis Nunes always bringing the vibes, as, uh, as she says Vibes and eyes. On Football Americas. Uh, great to have her and the perspective that she shares there. All right, so the U.S., Herc, is not great when it comes to coming from behind. And, of course, today they fell behind by two in that first half. But really, Herc, in soccer... Who is all that good at coming from behind? That's a tough thing to do.
4: Well, apparently not the US. Yes. Zero wins. It's very difficult. You're chasing the game. Usually you're playing against better opposition in World Cup, especially World Cup knockout rounds. Very difficult to fault the team for not being able to be the first team to come back and and win. Um, But that's usually how it is. That's usually how it goes. I will remind you, 2010, the U.S. men's national team became the first team not to lose in World Cup history after going 0-2 down.
2: So, there you have it. They go down 2-0 today, get one back from Haji Wright, and then in the end, a third goal, and that's the final score as we take a look at the updated brackets. Oh, what could have been a U.S.-Argentina quarterfinal. The golden generation against Lionel Messi will not be.
4: Get this man on straight.
2: <laughs> Thrilled to welcome into the show Juan Carlos Osorio, el profe, who joins us now for a tactical breakdown of what we just witnessed. Profe, thanks for your time. We'll get into the board here in just a second, uh, but I want to start with what you often look at first when we start talking about a game, and that is the lineup. It's a statement of intent from the manager. Specifically, the decision from Burhalter today to use effectively his false nine option. What is the intent? What was he telling us with that decision?
3: Um, welcome to everybody. Um, I do think that um, the idea with that uh, false nine was for him to. Uh, in this case right let's go to the board to drop off and or descend and try to make numerical advantage in uh, in the middle third and in the central channel aside from that uh the way the game developed and at times it was like a man marking in the middle if you remember it was the middle third was the young the rune and classen and sometimes they would just take the three man to man. And many times Adams ended up playing ahead of the two other uh, in, in inside midfielders. Now, that didn't happen. I never saw him, I never saw the number nine really dropping off and try to play it uh, as a fourth central midfielder. So the idea for me was to keep the ball, earn possession, the problem with that is that then you only have the white players, in this case, uh, Polišic and Wea, and to try to make to get in behind their defenders, because <clears throat> they decide to give the two central uh, central defenders a lot of time from the ball. So this is basically what happened. So <clears throat> we have a lot of the ball. I mean, United States have a lot of the ball going this way and I think not not, too, not too much rim, but Zimmerman has a lot of time on the ball and as they progress there was too many uh, what they call a conti- continuity passes. Continuous passes, yeah. No, it's like a type of pass where you only look to continue with the next pass but no progression and no, no penetration, penetration. Yeah. and no, like, uh, fixing uh, passing where, let's say, from, from one center back to the opposite uh, winger, do you, do you that think, never happened. Do you
4: think Van Gaal singled out Walker Zimmerman as a focal point, let him have the ball?
3: I don't. I think so. Knowing what I know about him, I think he did that. I think he probably concentrate on let the, the two center backs have the ball. And not to worry about, not worry too much about them. But let's go back to, because I really want to make this point. So let's say he has the ball, the goalkeeper has the ball, and they do man marking. The things, if you look at it in this um, from up above, then you can say that despite of what a lot of people say, that the structures or the systems are just uh, telephone numbers. I disagree. Because when you match up different systems, then you have to understand that the opposition is a facilitator because it's giving you a space. But you have to, to, to see, you have to be able to read where the space was. And the space today was in this inside for who was it in half for the spaces? Probably. For who? Right now I will go to that because they played. We knew they would play with three in the back plus the wide um, the wing backs. Yes, but we didn't know if they would play with the two and three forwards to spread the uh, the defenders. But they didn't do that. They put a uh, class class in here yep. as a media punta was a number ten and they put the two strikers together. Sometimes the Jack pie will go there and they yeah. move or the other way around. But it was it was always a space. And most of the time the space was here. Now who can use that space? Let's say the goalkeeper goes into the full back. So now we have Robinson on the ball and Pulisic brings this white Wing, uh, the, the wing back all the way down now he can go inside to the point where he has Engaged. the the, the, arm, the right arm has to come with him so create that space Correct. for the number 9 or for the number 7 I mean for the striker I mean or for the winger in this case Polišic or uh, uh, Ferreira. Ferreira but that didn't happen if we go on the other side then it would be a similar situation. Then uh, Wea can push the wind back of the way. This stays man-to-man, as we said, and then he can come here, bring this guy, or uh, the drone, you say? Yes. Drone into you and facilitate or generate this space. In the worst-case scenario, I think the number nine, even if he, does, if he doesn't drop, he has to, and this is trainable, if the balls go to the left, what he has to do is make, don't make this run because he will follow, but make, offer yourself, let him see you so he will follow. So you attract the side and you open this space for him to come, mm-hmm. for him to come, for him to go here. And even for the opposite fullback getting here, that would prevent from the counterattacks because... Don't forget that we stay here 22. Yeah,
4: Prophet. Let me ask you a question. Now, they, let me Go finish
3: ahead. with this because there might people who who can say there are other things that we can the U.S. could have done. Yes, they could when Robinson is in the ball. Policy can come in this in this uh, intervalo, and he can come here. But the problem with that is then for the win back is too easy because he can on, he only has to read this ball, and it's a straight run to get him, to to close him down. And what you want is to create chaos among the defenders. That's why I prefer this way, the win- the wingers wide open, they attract the full back, and now the full backs are the ones that, that are the um, outlet ball for, for the U.S. national team. And I have it here in the, statis- in the statistics, many many times they did that, those coming in here and got the ball, and the idea is to get it from the semicircle and inside the, the, the penalty spot. And from here he can play out to the winger, he can play to the number nine, he can do whatever. But many times he will miss out. They didn't read it as well as with Robinson. And I was talking to Hercules and he was saying he doesn't like to do that too often because then the space is here. Yes, but you have to, this, you, you, you keep this guy busy and here is 2v2 by the time they played the ball We can come, and the fullback on the other side can do this, and it's three versus two.
4: Profe, if I may, if we can put these players, these center backs right here, man man there we go. And what I'm going to do is I'm going to take this ball over here, and oftentimes what I was seeing is Serginho Dest drive the ball in here, okay? And Wea would try to occupy as high as he can, but he would come in as Serginho Dest came wide with it. And I saw Weston McKinney, all of a sudden yeah. here, when this ball comes this way. I saw that. Now, my, my problem here is there's a space when the ball gets lost. Yeah. And it's a very direct line into the midfield or directly to Memphis, yeah. who's 1v1 yeah. with Walker Zimmerman. And yeah. we yeah. saw that oftentimes in yeah. the first half. Yeah. The constant need of the outside backs to play as interiors, whether it's yeah. Robinson yeah. or Serginho Dest, yeah. forced Eunice Musa or Weston McKinney wide, and it just left this man, Tyler Adams, on an island. So Tyler Adams starts here high, and he's forced to make 40-yard recovery runs, and the ball ends up this way, and then back here. He can't mm. chase him, and then into the goal. I was watching uh,
3: the uh, your the, the block with Casey Keller, and I, I think he was talking about discipline, and Hercules make a point about at knowing how to attack. Well, the problem, is that attacking well-organized attacking football? But what they in the, the Spanish called football de ubicación right. means that we don't want this to happen. Let's go back to this one. What Hercules is saying, he's right. You don't want the fullback to come here and you inside midfielder, and I'm the there. What you want is that he try to bring all he does this he makes this run and see what he does most likely he will come here and that's advantage for us because of the Americans because then you have a class in following the fullback and he will not do that right. he, he won't he won't be able to live with his with his pace you saw that even the fullback struggled with his pace so the same thing on the other side and they, and they have the, the most athletic players out wide Correct. so you have to make this run he has to make this run and keep the back three right here deep into their side but they didn't do that and Perfect. we end up doing what Hercules said many times it was um, McKinney there or Musa here and we we were wide open. We, we just didn't connect well enough. So the first 10 minutes mm. before the goal falls felt really
2: good from a, if you're a US fan, you're seeing the team have a lot of the ball, you see a really good opportunity. And then right around 10, 15 minutes in, it felt like the game started to change. The, the game plan started to go more and more the Dutch way. They seem to have more and more control. From a managerial standpoint, what changes could have been made? What would you have done in that situation? Would you have waited until halftime? Would you have changed tactically something at around 30 minutes? Because it really felt like from a great start,
3: the U.S. fell off a cliff almost. <clears throat> I think in, in, in football, in, at the top level, there are many times you can come back from it 2 nil down, but there are not too many in the World Cup that come down, that come back up or they get their lives back after you are... There's
4: only one, actually,
3: and that was in 2010. Exactly, exactly. <clears throat> so, so the first goal dictates everything. Mm-hmm. And I, did, I don't think we mentioned this in this program, but yesterday was a debate about that. And my point was, I can see the Dutch team with a better chance to score in the United States than United States on the Dutch. But it was the other way around. I, I, was, I was wrong. Policy has the best yeah, chance. Yeah. And you put that away. It and changes things, right? It Pope? changes the whole thing. Because then you force the back three, not the, the backs. their back three, Van Dijk and... Timber, Ake. The, yes, yes. Timber and, uh, and Ake. And I don't like to to push that, that, that line to higher up because they know they will struggle with pace. Mm. So they the first goal dictates everything. And then the game just goes on. There is nothing between the 15th and the 30th minute, but then we uh, United States concede that second goal at the 45th minute plus. Just before half break and that kills the basically, that that forced the manager to make other Maybe other substitutions. So, give me or, that
2: perspective, right? Because you're probably, as a manager, at one nothing, you've got your plan, you know what you want to do, and I, then, boom, the goal literally falls second before the half. It, mentally, are you scrambling? Like, does that have to change exactly what you're going to do at halftime and, and maybe the changes that you were going to make? Because I think at one nothing, maybe you, you, you could wait till the hour right. mark. But no, at 2-0, it felt like yeah. you
3: better do something now or it's going to be over. I would be very over, clear over. I w- because I have done it in the past. The first half... You play close attention to the systems and where the space is. And obviously top managers or top coach sees that during the game. But you can enforce that with the technology now. You show two or three clips at halftime to the players in the board because that everybody's available to do that. And you point it out and I would have a substitution in the middle third. Because none what none of them where, were where making profit? these runs. Where and would probably, you sub where would you sub? Here, probably the this type of players, they're making these runs that I just spoke about because we needed... Well, United States needed to push the back three back.
4: Okay, so your message would have been different. You wouldn't have changed the player. Your <coughs> message would have been different.
3: Different, and if I do have a very athletic player, as athletic, as uh, Musa or McKinney, I would probably have done... I right, would make it pin a him back a little. And it, because I don't think the... What I have, what I have seen from the United States, the the two central defenders can change anything because the one thing that they didn't do the central defenders was were to run with the ball like Thiago sometimes does or right Silva. Yeah, yes. Thiago Silva yeah Tiago Silva top defenders right you know Rodrigo now I mean um, uh, mm. the um, the centre back for Spain. Mm. Yeah, Rodrigo. Yeah. Now he plays as a central yeah, yeah. defender and he runs with the ball and that invites the opposition to come, liberates one player, and then you fix whoever comes and you, your next pass is right then. But I would, to to go into your question, I would make clear that we need those deep runs and push all the the dutch team back here even the for the strikers they would be higher up to, to the pitch because i think they were they were they showed some signs of being tired
4: yeah i, I think uh, the dutch showed signs last 15 no, and, 20 minutes and, and oh, the us the United as well States too. oh that could be as well yeah. uh, Frankie De Young was instrumental, and I kind of had him being one of those instrumental players. Who I didn't have being instrumental was Denzel Dumfries. Or Dumfries. Oh my goodness! He, he was so good, probably the best player on the field. Why was he? Why was this player uh, here so effective, with and without the ball? I think he,
3: he went. He won his athletic battle with him with Christian Pulisic. With, yeah, I think so, and. You you are absolutely right. I think he was the most influential player. He has two assists and he scored a brilliant goal with his with his left foot. And he's a right footed. And when you have the two wing backs scoring goals because the Blin scored the second goal, then you have to really question who was in charge or who was missing an assignment. The, right? the guy this, uh, who was marking him. Yeah. They didn't have anybody. If they have a winger here, then I can understand that. But credit to the Dutch. They do playing, playing, and in the first goal is a, is a master of class how to get out of that pressure, yeah. playing one-touch football because the U.S. didn't go at a at time. And that's what I, th- I said there were signs of being a little tired because when you, you go one by one, it depends on how you're feeling. When you go all together, it's because you feel fresh and you just follow whoever goes for the ball. Question for you. We've talked a lot about Mexico on this
2: show. And Tata Martino, the manager, got criticized a lot for what he did against Argentina, right? He wasn't aggressive (coughs) enough. As a fan, if I'm a U.S. fan and I watched the first half of this game, I said, boy, this team is being very aggressive. And I kind of like that. And yet when we hear the analysis from Hercules, when we hear the analysis from Casey, they use the word naive. Was the U.S. approach in that first half? Naive did they not show enough respect to this Dutch side?
3: I don't know if the if the US because only Mr. Ber, Berhalter can answer that. If they have play in the back with at some points, I would probably go with a 3-4-3 three, three, and just have the, the, the keep the superior the, the superiority advan- the advantage on the flanks Reduce the amount of inside midfielders, inside midfielders, and now I will go wide all the time and just play two versus one. You really like the the mirror, well, right? At least the three beca- at the back. Why it, is that so important? Because at the end of the day, that's, it's man to man really, and you have this the number the the advantage in in your defender, in the defensive zone. And you have three versus two for their counter-attacking because they play very good, very effective counter-attacking game. But you keep the forwards, now you have four midfielders because you have wide players that could be your fullbacks, maybe two central midfielders and more athletic players and you play with three up front and you just keep going forward.
4: Let me ask you about Van Gogh. You obviously know Van Gaal, yeah. you've seen his style, you've seen his mannerisms, how he presents himself to the people, it seems like a no-business type of individual. When everybody's talking about the US's chances against the Netherlands, and how they like their chances versus the Netherlands, how this Netherlands isn't the Netherlands of the past, how these players aren't the Van Bastens, the Bergkamps, the Van Persies, the van der Saars of the past. The way he set his team up, what did it tell you? Did it tell you like, oh, okay, come at us and we'll show you how good we can be? Well, I, I, I have the privilege to
3: see to have seen all their games and they play against Ecuador they play the same way against Senegal they p- they play the same way I didn't see the third game Qatar maybe. Qatar Qatar I didn't go to that game <laughs>
4: but <they laughs> you be <need> good <laughs>
3: no disrespect to anybody but they just play v- to score the first goal and after that they just control the game and pass it and pass it and pass it until they kill the game basically right. they kill the opposite the opposition, so good reaction to U.S. when they got the game to they score and they put two to one. But again, it shows they are, that they have quality enough to. Oh, we need one more goal. We go for it, and then after that is is, is no problem. Enough. But finally, I would say because a lot of teams don't like to play uh, the mirror system. So my final and last suggestion is if. That's the case. Like today, you want to fix the, buy, the, the back five. You need four players, so you start with a four-two-four. Four. No four, Or be, you again. You have two, your best two central midfielders. You add another striker, and you play two in the central channel against the, the three. So it changes like that, right? So this this will be the structure. So you have two v two here. You still have. This is this, their structure. You still have two versus one. You have two strikers then can go here or drop to help the two, right, or vice versa. And he is wide and he is wide. And you still have the fullbacks to attack. Right, and, and that's that engages what it, that's the, what, the arms that that's like how. Said. That's how base, uh, and That's how Ecuador is scored against the Dutch team, playing 4-2-4. Four, and keeping Plata wide and keeping the other winger here. Stupinian. And this fullback, if you remember, Stupinian has a great game yeah. going that forward because they, then they don't know how to mark here. I have one last
2: question for you. It has nothing to do with the tactics board. You've now seen this U.S. team quite a bit, right? There's going to be a discussion as to whether Greg Berhalter stays through 2026 mm-hmm. or not. There's quite a few people, including Casey Keller, who thinks he may want to go back to the club world. Like That's what he likes to do. He wants to work every day. If the U.S. job comes open, knowing that there's a World Cup in the United States in 2026, and knowing La Camada, the generation of players, how attractive would that
3: job be to you? Oh, I think it is a a great job to have and a great, program to be part of as a nation and as a as a football football team fantastic opportunity not just for me for any other manager i think is a great the way they compete and the americans well I, I went to university there and and the one thing that i learned there was that that you can compete against anybody so for instance the way i coach and the way i approach the game is 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 because that, because I learned it in, in the States. You can't compete against anybody. You're well prepared. And the other thing is the way I train it was because I had the opportunity to watch the Chicago Fire, I mean the Chicago Bulls basketball team training, and I thought this is back in 1990. I thought this is the way to go, train the game through real game situations. So I see all those aspects, and it would be a fantastic
4: opportunity for Any manager in the world, any club, any any coach. You know, from what you've seen, the eye test in this World Cup. Okay, there's going to be an expanded World Cup 2026. More teams, 48 teams. How far do you think this U.S. team right now? They're all 21, 22 years old. They'll be like 25, 26 in 2026. How far do you think this team can go? Pakistan in the próximo mundial. I think uh, as a home
3: nation, U.S. has an advantage as far as the who they can compete against even if they play from now on knowing that they will have a place in the next world cup even if they play the friendly games they can choose and pick and probably is a great temptation for any any nation in the world to play in the united states versus other nation teams that can only play against medium opposition and they won't The only way you can uh, make those players better is by training properly, but especially by competing against the best. Okay. Because there is raw, natural talent. Octavos, second
4: round, quarters. Where do you see? No, I think
3: they should go to even to the at least to the fifth game. Wow, at least.
4: Profe,
2: again. Brilliant stuff. Uh, incredible what you've added to our coverage here. The folks back home are loving it. We really appreciate your time. It's been, uh, it's been great to have you with us. Right now, let's take a look at some quotes because they're starting to stream in. All the managers, all the players talking in the aftermath. And here's what we're hearing from Greg Burhalt, who had these comments about today's matchup. Quote, we don't have a Memphis Depay right now. Scoring in the Champions League. Okay, so very interesting, right there. Oh, he's not wrong. Pointing out Thanks the. Thanks for that one. What many would say is obvious there. But again, Greg Burhalter, and the quote is We don't have a Memphis Depay right now who's scoring in the Champions League. Brilliant stuff from El Profe as we uh, clear everything here on the Football Americas set. Perk, what do you make of those comments right there?
4: Genius. He's right. <laughs> shots fired at the players, no, at the American players? No, no. They also don't have a Pep Guardiola. They also don't have a Mourinho. That's a shot's they, fired. No, it's not. It's a truth. And he's being honest, and I'm not taking a shot. It's just a truth. Like, right. what do you expect me to say? Fine. Listen, Memphis Depay is a very good player. There's a reason he's been where he's been. Okay? Paid paid
2: they paid him, what they paid for him, right? They paid what
4: they paid. United, Barcelona.
2: Barcelona got him on a free, but they had to pay a lot. Whatever. To him, yeah.
4: You, yeah. Don't, you don't just play at that level if you're just some. Joe Schmoe, he's a very good player, and I think the quality today was evident. That's what he's trying to get at. The quality was evident. The gap in in player quality was evident. But I repeat, it was also very evident in coaching. And I said many times before, as green as this team is, as novice as this team can be at times, Mm -hmm. you know who's the most green and sometimes the most naive? I'll let you say it. It's Greg Berhalter. You can't have it both ways. Yeah. You don't have a Memphis. You also don't have a Pep. Is it more?
2: Let me ask this: Was the gap bigger today between the Dutch team and the American team, or Louis Van Gaal and Greg Berhalter?
4: I think Louis Van Gaal and Greg Berhalter. Really? Yeah, because I, I, I mean, I, I just, truly I, just feel I just want to say Pascal still...
2: Kemperman says Sergio Des doesn't get in that twenty-six. I know you did a combined eleven. I think that was mostly based on the tournament, but yeah, if we're really doing Sergio an 11, was
4: by a how many day. Americans
2: are getting in this? Dutch it, it don't, don't do squa- that, because it,
4: it's not that. It, you, you, it's not about that comparing paint a, player a, a man picture for man. of the gap. Okay, so why do certain teams work well under systems and beat better teams, better players? Because a manager the can make up for those. You can make up saying. for those deficiencies. That wasn't the case today.
2: What could he have done? Could he So pull out Tata Martino and? and no, I mean, no, no, no. We would have like hammered way, him for that. You we like would have hammered way, him for that.
4: Did you like the way they played against England? Yeah. Oh, that was, a, that was a professional performance, right? Why couldn't you try playing the same way against the Netherlands? Do you think they ran Why out of steam? You think, yeah, yeah, a little bit of that, because it's very difficult to play, and that goes into being naive. If you know at some point the fourth game... You're asking the same midfielders to play, one coming off an injury. Yeah. Okay? And Weston McKinney. You're asking Christian Pulisic after that knock, and I know it's about managing the pain, to play his fourth game. You're asking a lot of those defenders like Anthony Robinson, who's so powerful in the way he drives but heavy-footed at times, and even more so when he's fatigued, to play that way. Yeah, you're asking a lot of them. That goes back to the coaching, being naive. The most disappointing thing about this is this – Dutch team didn't beat you by overwhelming you with the ball. They beat you by being smarter than you. They beat you by sitting back and picking you apart. Who does that? Who does that? Think about that. Mm
2: -hmm. I mean, the best teams, the well-coached teams. The well-coached teams. Right. Those are the teams that do that. We talk about quality as it pertains to the starters, but I think quality in terms of great footballing nations is also represented in your depth and something Greg Berhalter talked about before the tournament was how he was going to use his subs and and it made it sound like he was going to use them a lot everybody right right but in the end when you have to go back to that midfield three and we talked about you know what defines them their athleticism well after you play one two three and you get to the fourth game that athleticism is not going to be what it was in the first game and so when we talk about, oh, the Dutch are this much better than the Americans, they also have that many more players who can come in and, and, and make and a Greg difference. Berhalter the U.S. didn't have that depth that. in midfield. And
4: Greg Rahalter realized. Especially that. in midfield. Because he didn't go to the well with uh, Luca Delatore. Ooh, you know? speaking of,
2: 99.99% sure that you would you said he would start a game yeah. here, and he didn't I even play. He, star-
4: he didn't play. He didn't play. You take, you take great New pride in Luca not playing. New shoes for Seth. That's a little weird. Uh, well, you owe me the Serbia one. You lost that one. I mean, I my mean, shoes are
2: going to be a lot more than 50 bucks, brother. It was I'll tell not you that 50 much.
4: bucks. We'll get to that, get that later. Uh, but you look at the subs he made. You look at World Cup qualifying, which is essentially a three-game window. He would use 26 out of 27 players. The only ones who would not play would be like the third goalkeeper. So you thought he would have gone to that well, him trusting his team so much, right? He realized the level was a lot greater than he thought, or the trust was not as great as he had had. Mm-hmm. So he essentially only used Haji Wright, Jesus Ferreira, okay, for a half, Shaq Moore a few times, Giovanni Reyna, Yedlin, and Kellen Acosta. That's it, right? Who am I missing here? Aronson. And Brendan Aronson.
2: Yeah. Brendan Aronson got anyway, in.
4: But sparingly, he yeah. went with the same core. And sooner rather than later, fourth game, here you are.
2: Cameron Carter-Vicker's got
4: to start. Cameron carter has got to start. But yeah. sooner rather than later, here you are. And the gas tank wasn't,
2: yeah, as, wasn't cool as full as it was. And you needed it, uh, that's yeah. for sure. One thing we always need here on Football Américas are your questions. And so next, we head to check the mentions. What are the folks on social media talking about? Serge Jim asks, Would Pepe or P Fox been better choices over Haji or
4: Ferreira? Herc? Um, very, very difficult to be critical of Haji when he gets a World Cup goal, right? Yep. But there were moments when you thought maybe a different type of player would be best suited and today jesus ferreira which is just so crazy to me that you would count on him so much greg berhalter that was his man if you said greg berhalter had one player up front that he trusted it was jesus ferreira and he only went to that well once and it was in the most important game and he pulls him at half a ricardo pepe in certain times especially with josh Sargent, who I w- was my de facto number one couldn't go would have been just so crucial to you. Just in form, a player that can drop in between those lines, that can combine, uh, a player that's gotten, gotten you out of tough spots yeah. before, not being able to go to that, not being not having them here, that was difficult for me to understand.
2: It felt like the number nine decisions were based on profile instead of form, and we talked about it during the game. It felt like instead of Greg Burhalter bringing his three biggest hammers He brought three different tools that he could use in different situations. Was that the wrong approach? Of course. Good players are good players. Again,
4: I will remind you this is what we do. I know. We work in TV and we sit here and we analyze. This is what we do. And, yes, um, knowing what we know now, more informed players, goal scorers, which are always of value, especially a guy like Jordan Pifak that's proven to score goals in many different ways Mm -hmm. and in different setups, he has value. I know you can say the form or whatever, but you just used a guy in Jesus Federa, who the last time that he actually played a game was October 23rd in Major League Soccer. So that form that you're talking about, it'll take time to get him there. It goes out the window. Right. So a lot of different things that didn't sit well. At, well, at the end of the day, you know, uh, guys like Ricardo Pepe and Jordan Peefuck will always be a what-if.
2: Let's get to our next question here, here. This World Cup, I mean. on Check. The mentions on Football Americas as we continue to wrap up the aftermath of the U.S. defeat Two Netherlands in the round of 16, 3-1 the final score. Lloyd van Oenen. maybe some Dutch roots there. Does this loss show the gap between America and the world?
4: Does he mean the Americas in the world? Because that, I think he that means is America. Well, I know, but United that States. is evident because it's it's. It was, in this second round, Brazil, Argentina, the United States. So you can count the Americas as well, yeah. right? And it's Let's not the honest. world,
2: it's the elite of the world. The elite of maybe the world, which saying, is still in Europe. Yeah, maybe we're saying we've said along that this Dutch team isn't, like, historically elite. They're still a top ten team in the world. But so I'm maybe that's the question, honest, the gap I, between I, the U.S. and the top I, ten. I do
4: see there being a gap between the Brazils and the inform Argentinas to the rest of the Americas. Okay, and I'm gonna include CONCACAF in that, CONCACAF yeah. in the Americas, not just CONCACAF, okay? And Brazil and Argentina are close as you can get to competing with the best in Europe, and very close, I actually think right. Brazil is my, my team to win this right. in this World Cup. But since there's that much of a gap between those two and the rest of the Americas, you could only imagine what the gap is to the elite in Europe. Yeah. Nobody, nobody, and I repeat, nobody from Brazil, Argentina down has a killing Mbappe, type of player, has a Neymar, or even a, a Jared Asikiri, who's yeah. already got three goals in his last three World Cups. If you think about that, that, that's a harsh reality, but it's the truth. So it's not just America that you just lump that into. Yeah. All right, our final
2: question here on Football Americas La Ultima y nos vamos. Well, not quite vamos. There's still a few more things left in the show. But uh, let's get to the final question here. In check dimensions. It actually comes from uh, one of our colleagues, Jen. She was the producer of the uh, E60 on the NWSL's 2021 year. That was. Remember, she joined us on the show a couple months ago. She asked, What is worse? In fact we couldn't track back into the box and stay with our marks, giving up easy goals, or that we just don't have a clinical finisher. So many golden chances missed.
4: Kirk, what's worse? I, I think it's defending because how innocent that defending is. I mean, you could not have a clinical finisher and don't make that face, but you would count on Christian Pulisic to to bury that one, right? That chance, yeah. Yeah, you would count on your players to take their chances and the guys who take their chances to be good at taking their chances. You can't be a good team if you let in those type of goals, those easy goals. Yeah. So to me, you can stay in games if you're not finishing. You can't stay in games if you're giving up those type of plays. Do you see my rationale yeah, there? Yeah,
2: I guess my counter to that would be we talked all buildup about the lack of a number nine and, right. and how much that you know kind of puts a ceiling well, on this team. And so when you talk about finishing, I think that's, of course, Pulisic misses his chance. But if you have a clinical number nine... You know the ceiling for this team, and if they can find that in the next four years, I think jumps. The thing well, it we talked to
4: the coaches because Greg Berhalter okay, didn't talk- nine.
2: Okay, but we clinical. talked about like what the strengths of this team were, and we talked about athleticism and specifically in the midfield. So for me, that's the bigger letdown there because that's what you knew you could count on—not just coming into this tournament, but it was reinforced through the first three games. Like if you would have told me that Tyler Adams and Eunice Musa were going to lose their marks, and that's where the first goal would come from, and get picked apart in midfield. I would have been like, oh man, I'm gonna be really let down by that because we hadn't seen it yet to date. So I think that to me is is maybe the bigger disappointment, just because. Which one would you take? I figured I figured the Which number nines, and they wouldn't be clinical. Which finishing one would you here. take?
4: A clinical finisher, or, or better defending? If I could, because you guys, no, you're a clinical one. finisher. It's like a quarterback well, well, in well, the NFL. If you can find a score, you... you're gonna score a goal, but you you're gonna you're gonna get three scored on you.
2: All right, so uh, great to check the mentions. Really appreciate everybody uh, sending in your questions. We have just crossed the 90-minute mark here on Football Américas. Producer Betão telling us we are into added time, which we know in this World Cup... Like has, been, uh, has been very, very long, so you never know uh, what we might get into. Actually, we're going to get into uh, MLS news here. The league has announced sanctions, Herc, uh, against the Los Angeles Galaxy for violating salary budget and roster guidelines. These sanctions stem from back in 2019 when L.A. added Christian Pavon to the roster as a TAM player. The sanctions, Herc, include $1 million in fine for the club a loss of $1 million in general allocation money. Chris Klein has been suspended through May of next year. Now you have been very critical of Chris Klein throughout his time at the LA Galaxy and throughout the existence of this show. Is this the straw that breaks the camel's back for you? Should Klein be out of the LA Galaxy?
4: So can't get a good team on the field and now you can't do the books right? Now you're, now you're purposely cheating? I and mean, we crucified Inner Miami for this, mm-hmm. right? What happened to Paul McDonough?
2: Suspended for a year and a half. So he was in May of 21 that he got busted or that the news came out. He was suspended through the 2022 MLB. And that season. was supposed to be. The, and Andy lost his job because remember, he had gone from Inner job, Miami to the That was supposed to be the, the
4: fine or the punishment that kept everybody else from not doing it, right? Now here comes the second one, and it's not as heavy. I know that Paul McDonough probably did it with five different players mm-hmm. in Inter, but at some point, you got to ask yourself a few, a few things. If One, if you're the LA Galaxy, is where do you draw the line with Chris Klein? Like, when is enough enough? Right. And two, if you're Major League Soccer, is if teams are continually trying to break the rules, don't have those stupid rules.
2: I'm with you on that. I'm 100% with you on like, that. Like, change things. Right.
4: If, if they want to be th- more ambitious, let them. Let them be ambitious. Right.
2: Um, there is no greater sin, Herc, in a salary cap league than cheating the salary cap, right? Because we've all come to the table, agreed to play by certain uh, rules. Worth noting, the Galaxy, on top of all the other sanctions, can't add international players next summer. Remember, Ricky Puch, Brugman, casares they brought in a lot of guys uh, in the summer. I'm thinking that's going to be a huge blow for the Galaxy because that summer market this coming year, I mean, it's loaded with players. If the Galaxy, if the Galaxy can't... Uh, Producer Beto saying, Luis Suarez in my ear, I hear you, I hear you. If the Galaxy can't reload in the summer, I mean, that's a huge blow to this team. You think so? Who just won MLS Cup? LAFC. LAFC. What'd they do? In your city. They reloaded in the summer.
4: A- and now this is happening, you can't reload? Your immediate reply is, well, maybe next year? Mm.
2: Yeah. Uh, it seems like more and more the uh, LA Galaxy, your former team, losing ground in the battle for Los Angeles with LAFC. All you right. said that? That'll do it. Not just for the US participation in the 2022 oh. World Cup, but for this episode of Football Americas as well. We are not done though. We are not going home. We are here throughout the rest of the tournament, and I'm we will be on live with you every day, 4 p.m. Eastern time, right here on ESPN Plus. For Hercules Gomez, producer Beto, the rest of our amazing hard-working production team here in Doha, back in Los Angeles, back in Bristol. For all those good folks, I'm Sebi Salazar. Thanks for coming on this journey with us. We'll see you tomorrow right back here on ESPN+.